this afternoon, we have with us David McClay Kidd, a golf course designer who uh, is originally from Scotland, but now is headquartered in Bend, Oregon. And uh, David, I appreciate you taking the time this afternoon uh, to take some uh, a few minutes to talk about uh, things during your busy life. I know you've got a lot going on right now. Uh, yeah, we haven't been too badly affected by the coronavirus, and it does seem like uh, golf is one of the few silver linings to all of this. Every course uh, that I talk to is busy. In fact, here in Bend, I can barely get a tee time. My friends and I are making tee times uh, at the maximum window we can, to, and even then we're playing late in the afternoon. So yeah. golf yeah. is enjoying uh, a resurgence. Uh, everyone wants to play golf because they can't do anything else. Yeah, it's funny. I've noticed the same thing. I've got some neighbors up the street from me, and uh, I didn't even, had no idea they even knew what golf was. But uh, I was talking to them the other day, and I went over there, and they've got their golf clubs sitting in their driveway. And uh, I asked them, they said the same thing. Well, we, they said that we can't do anything else, so we're going to go play golf. Yeah, yeah, it's a great thing. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I especially love it being a Scot. Uh, that it's meant that cart use isn't so appealing either. So we're seeing a lot more people finding their way to walk around the golf course and maybe figuring out that, hey, this is not so bad. I get a little exercise, a little more social, get to see the the wildlife a little better. So it it is one of the silver linings is how golf is a, a, a pastime we can all enjoy without fear of the coronavirus. Uh, and you're getting to get a little exercise and enjoy the great outdoors. Yeah. So for yourself, uh, how has this impacted you travel-wise or work-wise? I know you you have to do a lot of traveling for what you do. Uh, how, how's uh, that? Well, the, the, the projects that are far away uh, have now entailed, you know, Microsoft Teams or GoToMeeting or, or even Zoom, uh, as a mode of communication. And I, I think what we've discovered through this, assuming that at some point we get back to some form of normality, is that a lot can be done with video conferencing. Uh, uh, probably half the meetings that I would normally have gotten on a plane and spent more time traveling than I did actually on the ground, we could now do a meeting every day uh, and it lasts half an hour and we probably move the ball, pardon the pun, forward just as well or even better than we would have done trying to coordinate a meeting between 10 people on a remote site somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're all learning through this that that travel uh, has been a default that we've used when technology has allowed us to uh, circumvent it we just haven't found reason to do it and now we have so uh, i'm hoping that in the future uh my travel will be more uh tactical you know i'm going to make travel to sites when i really need to be on the site and i can use these video conferencing tools uh, to not make those trips when i don't have to which obviously saves a great deal of time and expense for everyone mm-hmm. yeah um speaking of traveling and and some of it is essential and necessary for particularly for some of the things that you do and the project you're working on. Uh, You mentioned earlier that tomorrow you're heading back up to Brewster, Washington uh, to Gamble Sands. Well, well, the way way I avoid uh, the problem there is many years ago I I became a pilot uh, and uh, we're lucky enough to have our own small aircraft. So Mm -hmm. uh, through the coronavirus, I... 
uh, I've still been able to travel uh, by getting in my plane and flying to wherever I need to go to. Uh, and then once I'm there, I, I'm outside um, mm-hmm. with a small number of people in the great outdoors. So mm-hmm. I don't yeah. feel particularly at risk. Uh, you know, I'm not staying in a big hotel. I'm not eating in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So I've still been able to provide the input I need on the on the ground uh, by tra- traveling individually uh, mm-hmm. and being careful where I sleep and eat. Yeah. So and you you pilot your own plane. That's- I do. I do. I, I've I've been a pilot now for eight years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. It takes quite a lot of effort at the front end to to get the qualifications, but but once you've done all of that work, uh, the benefits are immense. You know, there are 300 commercial airports in the United States, and yet there are 5,000 airfields in the United States. (laughs) So if you don't have to follow the schedule of United or Alaskan, uh, and you can fly your own small plane, you can really open up a world of opportunities to to save so much time. Uh, I, I'm not going to say you save any money, but you certainly save a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Nice. So uh, up at Gamble Sands, um, I know they've got a great 18-hole uh, layout already, which you designed, and I know they have plans for other projects up there. So what, are you, what have you been doing? Uh, well, we late last year, they asked us to start design work on their second course which is uh, a short course uh, so we looked at the parcel of land that's immediately uh, to the let me think about this now the west so as you drive in it's the the land immediately before you climb the hill up to the clubhouse uh, and they had about anywhere from 20 to 50 acres that we could have uh, used in the end, we decided to use only the land on the left-hand side of the access road as you drive in, which is right below the driving range. There's about a 20-acre parcel in there, uh, and we conceived. In the end, it turned out to be 14 holes. It started out at 13. We found one, uh, so there are 14 holes in there, ranging from 75 to 150 yards, mm-hmm. uh, and we took all that we had learned from uh, playing other short courses, the preserve at Bandon Dunes, uh, the sandbox at Sand Valley, the cradle at Pinehurst. Uh, and we thought, what can we do different? How, how do we put our own unique twist on the popularity of short courses? Uh, so uh, I, I'm hoping that when you come and see it, you, you will see a unique twist. Uh, for a start, the, the the 14 holes are plumbed for sound like a theme park. So we have uh, speakers set all the way through it so we can play some music as you're playing. Uh, the holes are, uh, how do I choose the right act, adjective? I mean, they are wildly creative. So uh-huh. okay. to, to give you some idea, the first, I, I when I was sketching them out, I was thinking of simple uh, strategies to make a a one-shot hole interesting. And so I was dreaming up names uh, that would help communicate the strategy. So the first hole, for instance, is a long, narrow green that's uh, perpendicular to the line of play, and we called it Plinko. 
uh, the the slope behind it uh, is uneven and long. So you're really throwing the ball 130 yards onto a slope and hoping you pick the right spot as the ball rolls back down off the slope and catches the bumps and things as it comes down and then rolls down onto the green. So the the third hole uh, is a crater. It's right at the very highest spot and you're throwing the ball into a, 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 the equivalent of a volcano crater and the, the green is is completely out of sight inside the crater. So you don't know when you play the 110-yard shot. Uh, you can see the pin from the tee, but that's all. So you don't know if you're close or not close. Mm-hmm. And so it goes on. We, we built one that we called the corkscrew. Uh, I can't imagine what that one is. <laughs> exactly. So we, we built a green where the corkscrew was our inspiration. And so it goes on. There's 14 of them out there. And my hope is that late this year, when it opens for preview play, uh, the players of the Northwest will shake their heads and think, what in the hell was this guy smoking when he dreamt this up? (laughs) And they'll have a good chuckle to themselves. And my hope is they'll play it round and round and round and round until the light fades. So what is the, you mentioned the popularity of Part 3 courses recently. What, What is the appeal, would you think? Uh, well, I like to call them short courses because I'm not sure par three counts. We, we, there's a couple of holes on this course where uh, they're really just putting, and mm-hmm. you could ace it in one go. So, uh, uh, what's their popularity? Uh, I think that people want something where they have a an opportunity for success, and I think all too often the conventional 18-hole model for the average player doesn't offer much opportunity for success and an awful lot of opportunity for frustration and failure. Mm-hmm. So a short course uh, has a much greater opportunity for all levels of ability to enjoy some degree of success. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it takes so much less time. You know, you're yeah. looking at an hour to an hour and a half instead of four to five hours. Yeah. Uh, so if you're at Gamble Sands, and you play the 18-hole golf course, you still have a bunch of the day to burn. And if you don't want to play another full 18 holes, what else do you want to do? So we already built the putting course, uh, which is great in the evenings. We think the short course is good for one or two rounds. So I think that's at least a couple hours of great entertainment before or after dinner, or maybe first thing in the morning before your tea time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the uh, the big course there, Gamble Sands, is pure fres- fescue. Is this going to be similar with the short course? Or? Exactly the same. Yeah. It's exactly the same grassing. The this thing is uh is going to be like a pinball machine. Mm-hmm. So the ball is going to bounce and run and chase and pitch and you know you'll there'll be no way if we can help it that you can throw a wedge into a spot and have it stop dead. Mm-hmm. It is always going to move. So the players are going to have to make some kind of prediction. Where is it going to move once it lands? And that's where you come up with ideas like the corkscrew. Yeah. Okay. Where are you along in the process of it? Has it been everything been grassed in or what's the status of it? Uh, we're still in the midst of construction. Uh, you know, I'm up there this week. I was up there early last week. Uh, so we're we're pushing along and we're on track to, to finish it uh, by the middle of the summer. 
Uh, and then uh, the grass grows pretty fast up there this time of year. So mm-hmm. we're hoping that by October, uh, the first few groups can go out there and the greens won't be perfect yet, but they can at least get some idea of what's coming. And then by opening of 2021, the course should be in full play. Yeah. Um, I know there's a, a lot of land out there owned by the Gebers family. Um, are, is there, are there plans for other? I know you have the full course and then the putting green and now the short course. Is there yep, plans there's, a, there's a third course uh, well in the works uh, mm-hmm. that sits to the west of the existing course. Mm-hmm. Those, the listeners that know the resort, the lodges that you stay in that look out across the putting course, the, there's a, a promontory on the other side of the ravine right on top of the river that's the 13th green on the third course huh. uh, so that course has been laid out uh, and the family the Gebers family are on track to keep moving forward the success mm-hmm. of the resort uh, has them confident that they can keep on going the third course uh, will almost inevitably mean more rooms and at least one more restaurant so it's mm-hmm. a pretty big step for them to take so yeah. uh hopefully once the short course uh, is up and running and that uh, brings even more uh joy to their customers uh they'll pull the trigger in short order on the third course and and even though I've, I've tried hard to give them the opportunity to uh kiss me and leave me at the side of the road they don't mm-hmm. seem to want to uh, and so they're they're very keen that we do the third course as well. So uh, this place is going to have my fingerprints all over it forever. Yeah. So do you anticipate this uh, third course having the same style, the the kind of a links links uh, style golf of fescue and pretty much the same, or for sure the same playing characteristics in terms of pure fescue and uh, lots of ground game. Uh, but I think it will take on a, a different uh, strategic character. Uh, mm-hmm. The piece of land is quite different. Uh, it's much more, there's more topography on the third course than the, than the first one. Uh, mm-hmm. So it will inevitably be somewhat different strategically. Exactly how, I don't know yet. It's uh, yeah. it, it hasn't gotten to that kind of advanced state. Yeah. So we'll have to wait. That could be a couple of years out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you think the, uh, the where the existing clubhouses and the restaurants and the lodging is that going to remain the hub of the complex that they have going on there, or they build yep. other? Yeah. No, it, it will remain the hub. The third course, we're looking to start and finish it uh, on the right side of the entry road as you drive in. So it will have a remote start and finish. It won't. It won't start and end right by the clubhouse. It's maybe three or four hundred yards away, uh, but it's not too far away. Yeah. And you know, uh, as the courses at Bandon Dunes have done, the impetus is always to create the very best golf. And if something else has to give, then we're willing to let that go, i.e., the remote start, uh, yeah. in order to get the best golf holes out of it. Right. Okay. Um, uh, David, I just want to shift a little bit now, and I know that you you and your, your team just finished a renovation of Sandpoint Country Club in Seattle. And uh, I have not been there. I don't know the timeline, but I've heard already some really great things about it. And I was actually there, I guess I shouldn't say that, I was there about six months ago 
talking with your partner, Nick Sean, and he showed me around, but I haven't seen it since then. So uh, this was uh, kind of a different uh, approach to you, wasn't it? Uh, I, I know it's a, a, a traditional style golf course, um, not much property, not much acreage uh, in, a, in a very urban setting. Well, you know, it's not something that's generally in my wheelhouse, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, my design partner, Nick, uh, is from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was very keen to at least take a look at Sandpoint and show me what it had to offer. You know, when I looked at it on paper, at least, you know, it's 110 acres and the course is 6,100, 6,200, something like that from the tips. Mm-hmm. Uh I, you know, it wasn't something that I immediately thought, oh, yeah, that's something we definitely want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, you know, I went there, uh, and as I drove in the entryway, we're looking down on Lake Washington and out to the mountains. I thought, wow, this is a spectacular piece of land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got to know the membership, especially the, the folks on the board, and they were phenomenal. I mean, just really down-to-earth, Great people love the game. Don't take it overly seriously. They're not uptight, uh, and yet highly motivated to do whatever it takes to make their golf club the absolute best it can possibly be. And so I was enthused and, and agreed with Nick that there was real potential here. There, uh, all the pieces are in place. You have a, a, a pretty good piece of land, spectacular views, uh, a membership that are really enthusiastic. Uh, I, I couldn't see a reason not to want to try and help them. Uh, and when we painted out what it would actually take to, to make the course the very best it can be, they embraced it. They, they were all about it. They were like, okay, you know, where do we, when do we get started? How do we do it? Uh, and so with the, what started out as a, a step-by-step master planning process quickly turned into let's do it all. Just We love all your ideas. Do them all. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> so they they closed the course late last year mm-hmm. uh, and worked through the last six months or so. And obviously the last 60 days has been a real challenge for them. Uh, and last Friday, the front nine reopened uh, following fair, some fairly significant works. And mm-hmm. the back nine will open, I think, in another 30 days or so. Uh, and they'll have their golf course back. And we've mm-hmm. completely rebuilt a number of golf holes. We've rebunkered the entire course. We uh, thinned a lot of the trees uh, that were uh, dead, dying, uh, unnatural. And simply uh, blo- blocking all the great views that you were talking about. Blocking too. views and preventing you from finding it and hitting it and finding it again. Uh, the the core thing about golf, find it, hit it, find it, hit it. So, mm-hmm. so we've done all of this, and uh, but, I mean, we couldn't be more pleased. It came out really, really well. You know, working with uh, Ridge Talk, who are the local contractor up there, uh, and Marcus Harness, the new superintendent, uh, it's been phenomenal fun to do uh, and come out probably better than we could have expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the initial feedback from the members... It's funny how when we were pitching the the ideas we had, there were a few, just a few members that when they listened to my rhetoric, they say, well, he wants to take down trees and he wants to make fairways wider and he wants to make greens bigger and he wants to move the bunkers around. I mean, all I'm hearing is that the golf course is going to be too easy. (laughs) Uh, And they, they missed the point that 
you know, you're making it more playable. You're not making scoring any easier. In fact, uh, you're probably making scoring harder because those bunkers are now being put in far more relevant locations that are defending the attacking line. Uh, so uh, a little bit of the feedback I've heard so far is that those members get it now. They're like, hmm, mm-hmm. I can't just beat on it like I used to. I now have to actually put it on a line and be accurate. Mm-hmm. So that's fun to hear. Good. Yeah. So they'll be opening up in about 30 days or so, full, full 18? For, yeah, all 18, I think, opens in early June. Yeah. Okay. So if you can get out there, uh, go play it, see what you think. Yeah. I uh, I, from the tips, I guarantee it will be the toughest 6,200 yards you play this year. Well, there's elevation changes there, too. Did you find that somehow different than some of the courses that you've laid out? or? Uh, I've I've worked on a few that have serious elevation changes. Okay. Uh, however, I've never worked on one that was as small as this with serious mm-hmm. elevation changes. I mean, when you've got a huge site, I did one in Hawaii that was uh, 500 feet of elevation change, but the golf mm-hmm. course ranged across 600 acres. This oh, site yeah. probably has 200 feet of elevation change, and it does it in barely over 100 acres. Mm-hmm. So that's the real challenge is that, a lot of elevation change and pretty tight. Yeah. So uh, there were certain things. I mean, the basic routing we were we were kind of stuck with. There was no way of changing that fundamentally. So we, we just had to find tactics to make those uphill or very downhill holes uh, intriguing. So how do you make uh, a, a modest golfer get through it without frustration uh, and more challenging, how do you get a good golfer like yourself since I've played with you? How do I get Tom Cade to stand there and scratch his head for a second and think, just what am I going to do here? Yeah. Yeah. So um, as far as future projects, I I uh, think that you might be on a little bit of a pause because you, you and your wife are going to be expecting your first child, correct? Soon? We are. Yeah. 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 I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a late starter cause I, I, I've already got a couple, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this, this is going to be, uh, this is what's going to keep me young into my old age or okay. kill me. It's one <laughs> or the other. Yeah, okay. I, I, as you know, my wife, she has, uh, bundles and bundles of energy, uh, so she'll make up whatever for whatever I don't manage to step up to. So we're looking forward to that. That's uh, yeah. yeah. My my travel's going to get curtailed here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. So th- this could be my last extended trip up to to Gamble Sands to round out the design on the short course, uh, and then I'm going to hand the baton to to Nick, and he can uh, yeah. get it finished as I turn to fatherhood for a few weeks this summer. Yeah. Well, nice. Okay. Uh, just one last thing. I know that the U.S. Amateur uh, is scheduled to be held at Bandon Dunes uh, this summer, and uh, they're going to be playing, I believe, the match play portion of it on your course there, the Bandon Dunes course, the first one there. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. The, the match play and the final will get played at Bandon. You know, I asked uh, uh, Mike Davis and Mike Kaiser uh, why the why Bandon uh, and Mike Kaiser instantly turned around. He said it's the only course at Bandon that finish with such a strong finish, uh, and I, I hadn't immediately thought of that. And I, but when he said it, it became so true. I there's no other course at the resort that finishes on the ocean, uh, mm-hmm. and you know Mike was very keen that 
for the biggest tournament that uh, the resort has ever seen. Uh, he wanted to showcase the, the land parcel as best he could. And since it's likely to be on TV, he wanted that, that those final few holes to, sure. to to be duped out on the ocean front. I just hope it happens. I mean, uh, with, with yeah. everything that's going on. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I was actually just talking to some of the folks down there about that. And they've got, they said they have 20 of their caddies uh, going to try to qual- play in the qualifier to play in the championship. And I yeah. think that's really a great story just on its own, but it would be a shame that it did not happen. I know some of the qualifiers are still being TBD'd and things like that, but uh, so we'll just see what happens, yeah. Well, my hope would be, you know, along with a lot of uh, sports, that uh, instead of scrubbing the schedule, you just postpone the schedule. So, you know, if if the worst were to happen, you know, you just push the the schedule for the U.S. amateur and push everyone back a year, and Bandon still gets a chance to host in 21. Yeah. But I, I have no influence there. But that that would be what my uh, hopes and dreams would be. Uh, yeah. In my career thus far, I consider the U.S. amateur uh, to be the uh, competition highlight of my career thus far, given that these are the finest amateurs in the world. Yeah. playing on a venue that the USGA is selecting because of the venue. You know, it's it's not tour players playing where the sponsor tells them to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are you going to go watch it if you have a chance? Of course. Yeah, I, I have my room all booked. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I've got fingers and toes crossed that uh, it yeah. goes ahead. Yeah. And I fully intend to be there. In fact, if the right people are listening, I'd love to have an input, input uh, into the pin placements on a couple of those rounds. Uh, okay. I, I know that course pretty darn well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that uh, you and Nick did some uh, uh, tweaking to that course over the last year and a half or so. So I know a lot of work has been going into it to prepare for this championship. We rebuilt all of the bunkers at Bandon Dunes. Uh, Probably 75% of them stayed in place, but about 25% of them moved. Uh, The eighth hole, for instance, which was the holes maybe 360 from the tips, uh, the bunkering over 20 years had become less and less relevant. Uh, And so the eighth hole, as an example, uh, I wanted to put the bunkering into relevant places for the best players of the day uh and funny enough when i was out there and we were debating it um mike said how will you know exactly where to place them and i said it's easy see all those divots i'm going to put the bunkers right there Uh, yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) good strategy yeah i uh and there uh, you made some big change like on hole uh 15 uh the par three yep and uh you cut that one bunker in half and then you opened it up on the left side, which I thought was great. It didn't make it easier. I think that made it someone at least have a chance, but still made it harder. Well, I, I, there, there's a great example of the difference between scoring and playability. You know, I, I, our business talks about a, a challenge and playability as if they're the scales of justice, and they're not. They're, they're not at all things that are the same. You know, I didn't touch 15 green. The putting surface is exactly the same as it has always been. And for a good golfer, trying to make birdie on 15, especially if there's a wind blowing, is extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. However, 
for an average golfer to make double bogey, that's not that easy. You can easily wreck your card on 15, or you could, because that big bunker that's short right is where most players ended up because of the wind in their face. If they tried to go left, they ended up over the top of some mounds with an impossible chip back. Uh, They'd have to lob wedge it and stop it on a green that's eight steps deep. So my intention was not at all to make birdie any easier for a good player. My intention was to get the guy who's having the round of his life and not have him get to 15 and make an eight. And so by moving the bunker back a little bit and making it a little smaller, the average player that misses short right is now in grass. He can chip it off grass. He could even put it up the slope. Uh, for the guy that misses way less because he's scared of that bunker, he's now on a flatter lie that he can actually putt the ball from off the green back onto the putting surface. None of those players are threatening birdie. They're just trying to get par or bogey and get the hell out of there. Yeah. And I, I was willing to make some concessions to allow that to happen. So there, there's a great example of how challenge and playability are not the scales of justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I remember the first time I played that after you, uh, Nick had, had put his hand on it, and I that whole left side was completely mowed and smooth and mounded, and it used to be just a disaster over there. Uh, well, this must be easy now, but but I actually hit over there, and it's not that easy. I and mean, you're right. I, I walked out of there with a four, and I was happy to have it, and I just went on to the next hole. And, you know, if, if if you and I, as player and architect, are in a battle together on the golf course, if you're willing to take bogey, I'm willing to give it to you. Yeah. But if you're trying to take birdie, I'm not willing to give you that. Yeah. 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 No, it's a, I was a little surprised at first when they announced that, that that would be the course for their match play bracket, um, the U.S. Amateur. But then uh, the more talking to you and to, talking to other people and playing it, I, I realized that it is a really good match play golf course. Well, it, it's certainly the final few holes, 14 through 17, uh, are for sure great match play holes because there's such uh, a diversity of opportunity, whether you're the aggressor or on defense. You know, you're going to take a completely different stance on 16 if you're two up than if you're two down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of all the courses at Bandon, I'd like to think that the first course, my course, offers the, the best opportunity to be a hero in the final stretch if you're behind and you want to get back. And, you know, the the nuance of match play is so much, uh, you know, in the heads between the players as, as the parties duke it out. You know, they're not trying to protect a score. They're just trying to beat you on this hole. Uh, and that makes such a difference to the psyche and the architecture. Yeah, yeah. So 16 will be, a, you know, it would be wonderful if the final game came down to 16 because yeah. are you willing to go for it or not? Yeah. The chances are in August you're it's hitting your downwind. T-ball. Yeah, downwind. you're downwind. Yeah. That's, that's almost impossible to stop. Yeah. And yet, if the first guy does it, the second guy's almost yeah. got to try. He's got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that will be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really go for it kind of a hole, uh, especially if you consider on the right, the ocean, of course, is there and the cliff side, but it's 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 a, a lateral. It's just a one-stroke penalty. Yeah. You can still chip on and they're putting for par and, and uh, they still got it. They're still in it. 
Yep. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Just uh, open it there. Yeah, exactly. I guess time will tell, but I know that our office is uh, conducting a, a qualifier for it, and I know that the Oregon Golf Association will be conducting this one as well. And I actually, I guess one of the qualifiers being held at the Old McDonald Course there at the resort. So uh, it's, it's happening to that point anyway. Uh, David, I, I appreciate you taking the time today. And, no problem. Uh, uh, hopefully uh, we'll get together soon and play uh, uh, the short course of Gamble Sands. I, I do want to get out there later this summer to see what see what all the excitement's about. Looking forward to that. Yep, give me a call. I'd love to tee up with you later this summer. Yeah. Okay. You can find out what the corkscrew really looks like. Okay. <laughs> I'm already afraid of the name. So. <laughs> um, good luck and the best wishes to you and your wife, Tara. Uh, thank you. And, you uh, too. All right. Stay David. safe and stay well. Yeah. Thank you for that. You too. No problem. You too. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye.